whole series in First Peter talks about home. As we're exiles, we're confused at times. We're, we're here in this place, in this world, but it's not our home. And yet God has left us here for a reason. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad that, that God has brought you. And, and more than anything, I hope your hearts are just strengthened by the message of grace that you're going to hear. If you're newer to our fellowship, we have an opportunity to be able to, to praise our God, to focus on talking to our God, by listening to Scripture read about our God. And now we open up First Peter and continue our study where the Apostle Peter writes a group of people called exiles or temporary residents, or foreigners, or sojourners. It's probably the only book in all of the Bible that's emphasizing how temporary life is. There's other portions, there's other spots, but, but keep, Peter keeps reminding us. He, he keeps saying, he goes, you know what? This is not our home. It, it just isn't. I know you're here. And I know there's a reason you're here. And in fact, in many of the recipients, they were hurting. They were suffering. Nero's persecution was only getting worse and worse and worse. And so he's writing a letter to these, these warriors. And he keeps reminding them over and over and over again about who God is. Because if your circumstances and my circumstances are hard, or we're beat up, or we're discouraged, we don't understand even why we're in the situation we're in. We need some part of the Word of God to be able to come and, and rain on us. So that we might be able to be encouraged not only just for today or tomorrow, but, but for a month or six months or however long God has you on this planet. You see, life really was hard for those who were chosen to represent the king and only going to get worse. Peter himself hadn't been killed yet and probably a few years after this letter went out, he was crucified by the evil Nero. Peter focuses on salvation. He's overwhelmed by God's grace, but he recognizes that Jesus came not only to save us from the debt of our sin. We call that justification. But he also came to give us victory over sin. Sin always has consequences. Sin always brings death. And if we choose to listen to the enemy, and if we choose to be our own boss, listen to our own person, my guess is we struggle. We do. 
But Jesus came. He came in order to pay our debt. He came in order to give us abundant life. And that daily thing is called sanctification. And lastly, which we sang a little bit about today, is that someday we will be glorified. Anyone who has put their faith in Christ, anyone who's come to the cross, anyone, we know, folks, that you don't get saved by going to church. We know that. You don't get saved by doing all these good works or trying really hard. And we don't eventually end up before God. And, and he looks and says, you know what, Rick, you're pretty good. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna, uh, let's look at the royal scale. And you're standing there quivering. Oh boy, am I going to make it? Did I do enough? Now, that, that's kind of the neighborhood view. The culture's view. I need to please this God. But God says, no, I am a gracious God. And actually, I'm a holy God. And you can't even come into my presence. So I'm going to have to send my son. He's going to have to spread his arms. He is going to have to shed his blood. And he's going to give you life. You put your faith in that. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. And there's hope. You know, Peter shares truth over and over, and then he helps us understand how we can live in light of truth. Throughout his letter, he rants both on God's grace and the fear of God. And if you think of it, it's kind of an odd combination, isn't it? Where where God is so wonderfully kind and merciful, and, and yet we're supposed to fear him or respect him or listen to him. Because if we don't, there are consequences. This morning we're going to focus on how the fear of God makes us different people, both at work and at home. But I'm going to pray, not because I'm supposed to pray, but honestly, I I just kind of think that today's message can be really misunderstood. And and I do not want to get in God's way at all. I, I just don't. So let's pray. Father, I come before you knowing that there is unbelievable potential of being misunderstood. You are a gracious God, and and you have given us your word. And your word convicts us, your word encourages us, your word um, empowers us. And so we pray that that would happen today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active in every one of our lives, that you would just use your words in the way it would be intended. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it is clear that fearing God is a big deal in Scripture. Over these past weeks, we have gone through passage after passage where God is encouraging each of his followers to see him clearly, and to fear him, and to respect him, and to honor him. Last week, we saw that the fear of God empowers you to love your community well, to literally give up your lives for them. But let me bring some clarity here. We also 
talked about, or I also talked about respecting your government. And I used some illustrations like the midwives during Moses' time. And I also used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I tried to use them in a way that would help us understand our ultimate authority is God. And for the most part, our government, at least where we live, is not going to ask us to break God's laws. But if there is a time when our government asks us to break God's laws, what I want to say, again, very clearly, yes, we need to respect them, but God's laws always prevail. If there is a choice, and I hope it doesn't come too soon or too often, where you have to obey the king or obey God, God says, hey, I am the ultimate king, and you need to listen to me. Peter now gets more specific. He goes down the same line of thinking. He actually asks slaves, wives, and husbands to step up. Oh, that's a great combination, Rick. Slaves, wives, and husbands. How's this going to come together? That's why I prayed. Let's look. We'll open our Bibles or your flat screens to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 18 to 25. And I've asked Matt to read that scripture for us. I will be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters. Do whatever they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are harsh. For God is pleased with you when, for the sake of your conscience, you patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing right and are patient beneath the blows, God is pleased with you. This suffering is all part of what God has called to you. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned, and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross, so we can be dead to our sin and live for what is right. You have been healed by his wounds. Once you were wandering like lost sheep, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls." The word slave and the concept of slavery disgusts each one of us, and rightly so. Yet we have to understand the first century Roman slave culture. The horrible condition of slaves in the 19th century um, gives the word slave a far worse connotation than is accurate for most of the society to, to which Peter was writing. First of all, Roman slavery wasn't racial. Slaves usually consisted in the first century underneath the Roman Empire of folks who were either in debt 
or they were prisoners of war. Although mistreatment of slaves could occur then too, it must be remembered that first century slaves were generally treated well. They were not only unskilled laborers, but often managers, overseers, and trained members of various professions, doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, and skilled artisans. There was extensive Roman legislation regulating the treatment of Roman slaves. They were normally paid for their services and could eventually purchase their freedom. Peter uses a word, at least in this translation, better translated, household servants. Some of you know the normal term, the Greek term is called doulos, and this is not the term that's used in this situation. There is no parallel in our culture to this first century scenario. But the fact remembers Uh, remains that this was by far the most common kind of employee-employer relationship in the ancient world. So Peter's directive can and should be directed to employees. So what Peter is saying is this. God-fearing employees must keep submitting or obeying to your employers authority. Or let me put it another way. Because you fear God, you can serve well. Ultimately, Peter keeps going back to our allegiance to our king. And our king has control. And God knows what's happening. I'm going to read to you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 in the NIV, and I think actually this translation captures it a little bit better. Peter writes this, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Now let me remind you what Peter is saying. This is not something that most of us will start having a parade. What Peter says is this. If, you, if your bosses are kind, listen to them. Yeah, we like that part. We do. I mean, people love working for gracious bosses. You know, one that always see it your way. And one that always compliments you for everything you do. And applauds you in the, in the right way. I mean, we would go through walls for bosses like that, right? That's cool. But my guess is there are people right here, right now, that have bosses that are a little bit ornery. Maybe not all the time, but some of the time. And this is Peter's admonition to them. If they are cruel or crooked, the word literally is crooked. Listen to them. Okay, Peter, if they're nice, listen to them. Got that part. If they're cruel and crooked. Now, I am talking about the character of your boss, not what your boss is asking you to do again. I'm not saying that if your boss is doing something illegal or crooked and asking you to join him in the bank robbery over lunch. 
draw a line in the sand, folks. It's not a good thing. Okay? But what Peter is saying is that there's some scoundrels out there. There's some creeps. There's some people that don't have your integrity, that don't think the way that you do, but they're over you. Peter says this, it doesn't matter what kind of a person is over you. You need to submit to them. You see, God literally delights in a worker who listens when he or she is being treated poorly. God delights. God calls us to do good. Something you can do because you and I fear God. Wayne Grudem, one of my favorite commentators, he writes this. Slaves are trusting in the awareness of God's present and never failing care, which is the key to righteous suffering. It is the confidence that God will ultimately right all wrongs which enables a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment, rebelliousness, self-pity, or despair. It is important to note that Peter here commends neither the supposed therapeutic value of expressing one's anger when wronged, nor merely holding the anger in and trying to suppress it. Both are self-dependent solutions, but rather repeatedly and continually committing the situation into God's hands. See, literally, Peter is asking us to behave differently than all the culture and the society around you. Not because your rights haven't been violated. Not because you're being misled treated or treated well. If God has sovereign control over every circumstance, and that's where Peter's going to keep going back to. Not about your rights and not how you're not being treated fairly or how come he gets more hours or how come they get the prime hours or how, and you can just keep going down that rabbit trail. But in Psalm 103 verse 19, The psalmist writes, The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Proverbs 19.21 You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will always prevail. And then in verse 21 and 22 following there, Peter uses Jesus as an example for us to follow. But it's really more than just a suggestion. Let me read for you again. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Now, i got to be honest. In some ways, you look at this, and every time the biblical authors ask me to use Jesus as an example, or Jesus himself wow, that's like raising the bar. You know, I'm a normal guy. I mean, you know, you're like the son of God. Like you never blew it. Well, this is my model. This is my suggestion. But this is what Peter says. Out of anyone who was mistreated and suffered unjustly, it was Jesus. 
He literally had the power to call 10,000 angels down, right? I mean, when he was mistreated, he could have said, smoke, done. That would have been kind of cool to see every once in a while. I mean, God did some of that like in numbers, you know. But realistically, you look at this and say, well, aren't you going to like, you know, Jesus was mistreated. Jesus wasn't honored well. Jesus, and you can go on and on and on. And the example is, Jesus trusted his dad. Jesus suffered unjustly, but trusted his dad to right all the wrongs. In fact, I think this is an amazing verse. If you, if you mark your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to do this. This is an amazing translation. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Every time the whip went across his back, every time he was spat upon, I mean, it's got to be one of the most degrading things in the world, right? He didn't lash out. He received it because somehow he knew his dad would take care of it. So when a boss asks you to come in early and not get paid, or when you keep getting the hard tasks, or when a teacher asks you to do more than your share, We can look at that. What's going on here? I'm going to stand up for my rights. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. What's wrong with you, God? Well, actually, God is going to take care of the situation. Chastisement or forgiveness, but ultimately justice, it's up to God. That's where Jesus ended up. And as he chips away some of our arrogance, as we walk with God and he takes away some of our selfishness or our own perspective, we're beginning to trust God in a new, in a fresh, in a greater way. So that circumstances literally don't affect us like they used to affect us a week ago or a month ago. But Rick, uh, things have been so unjust, I lost my job. Wow. It's hard. But it is a God. Is he fighting for your rights is natural only to people who depend on themselves and believe that God does not have control of the situation. And I know some of you rather um, um, activists right now. Your feet are stomping. Say, so, wait, 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 wait a minute, Rick. I know a situation that literally is different than this. And you may. But I keep going back to what Jesus suffered. And I'm pretty sure it's not as bad as that. To the suffering person who deeply trusts in God and believes that God is indeed in control of every situation, there is another response, one perfectly exhibited by Jesus He trusted his dad who judges justly. 
But then Peter, because I just think he's overwhelmed with God's grace, he has this little side, um, uh, he, he goes off on a, on, on a sidebar. And in verse 24, he says this, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you have been healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. You see, just like Jesus trusted his heavenly Father, and as he did, his heavenly Father brought extreme good to his or from his suffering. Like Jesus suffered, God can bring good out of our suffering. But specifically, because of Christ's suffering and sacrificial death, we are healed. This doesn't actually flow, but again, Peter's so excited about what Jesus has done for him and the grace that has been dumped on him. He just said, because Jesus went through the suffering, we are healed. He says, secondly, we can be dead to sin. Literally, so we can live. We can experience abundant life now. And lastly, we have a shepherd or a guardian. We're not wandering sheep anymore. This is so cool. It's saying, you know, Jesus suffered, and as a result, God brought some amazing good from it, and we benefited. How amazing is that? Paul gives us another perspective with the same conclusion. It's in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 22, and I'm going to read it out of the message version because I think, again, this paraphrase kind of captures what Paul is actually trying to say here. And uh, Paul writes this, Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Ultimately, we're serving Christ. What an amazing place to show God's goodness to others. Being salt and light in the marketplace. You know, some of you might be thinking, hey, Rick, you're a pastor. You know, your marketplace is this building or these people. You only get to hang around with the best and the brightest and the kindest. You're right. I do. But I also know that over the journey in my life, I had opportunities to be in the trades. Or had opportunities to be in management. And I recognize very quickly that sometimes the culture in the world is quite harsh. But God has called us to be salt and light. We will stick out no matter where you work or what school you go to if you ultimately are trusting God to take care of the mistreatment or the discouraging times. I guarantee it. So really what Peter is saying, employees, step up. 
Step up. You have a chance to reflect God to others in your workplace, and it's an amazing and a wonderful chance. Next, Peter addresses wives. Oh, boy. I've asked Linda to read our text for today. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Let me say a few things about the culture. So many times people will read the scriptures, will hear what the words are saying and say, you know what? This was written so long ago, it's, very, it's, it's probably not that practical. Or really, the, the expectations that God has, uh, they're unrealistic. But let me share with you, uh, it's really important that you understand what the first hearers heard. John MacArthur, another one of my favorite uh, commentators, says this. In first century Greco-Roman Empire... Women received little or no respect. As long as they lived in their father's house, they were subject to the Roman law of Patria Postajas, the father's power, which granted fathers ultimate life and death authority over their children. Husbands had a similar kind of legal authority over their wives. Society regarded women as mere servants who were to stay at home and obey their husbands if a woman decided to obey the gospel, get saved. That decision to change religions on her own could result in a severe abuse from her unsaved husband. When such conversion did occur, a wife needed to know how to respond to her husband so that she might win him to the gospel. Her essential duty was to be submissive, as in the case of civil and workplace relations. Submission does not imply, MacArthur writes, any moral, intellectual, or spiritual inferiority in the family, in the workplace, or society. But in God's design for roles necessary to mankind's well-being, Along with the same lines, a commanding officer is not necessarily superior in character to the troops under him. But his authority is vital to the proper functioning of the unit. That Peter refers specifically to their own husbands indicates the intimacy of marriage and points out that he is not commanding women to be servants to all men in every context. Paul further elaborates on God's design for authority in the home and at church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Timothy chapter 2. What Peter is saying here is 
God-fearing wives. Or because you fear God, wives, keep on accepting and receiving your husband's authority. We need to understand what Peter is saying here. He is not talking about authority that leads to abuse or danger. And I know in our culture today, this is hard. This really is. Uh, So many times, whether it's a pastor's office or whatever kind of interaction that you have with neighbors or friends or even relatives, you're going to find out where males are so abusive to ladies, to daughters. And this is not what Peter is talking about. There is abuse, and there are times when when women are in danger or children in danger. And Peter is not saying, hey, it doesn't matter. You just listen, and you just submit, and you do what husbands want you to do. Be submissive to your husband means that you willingly come underneath your husband's authority or leadership in the marriage as your family moves forward together on mission. You know, Jesus came to give freedom to everybody. But you know the people that were absolutely shocked by Christ's message were women, children, and slaves. They couldn't believe what Jesus was saying about them. That they were worth something. That they were people who counted. Nobody from this class counted in the first century in Rome. Jesus is about love and order. He is never about tyranny. God has clearly established leadership roles in the scriptures. In the kingdom, there's Jesus who is king. In the government, in our situation, it's a president. In a church, there are elders. In a marriage, there's a husband. And in a family, there are parents. What Peter says is this, is that a gentle and quiet spirit is precious to God. But he's actually saying the same thing to employees. Nothing's different there. Realistically, he he is saying, what is precious to me is a woman who submits in spite of how she's being treated in order to reflect God's character. Because again, this woman's going to trust God to make sure that God takes care of the situation. It is the spirit that will draw disobedient husbands to God. You see, beautiful wives focus on the inside, not on the outside, which draws attention to themselves. And that's pretty consistent all the way through Scripture. Now again, Peter focuses a little bit on the fluffy side at this moment, But honestly, if you draw attention to yourself, like, you know, you never shower, never put on any lipstick, kind of come in kind of raggy and and so on, my guess is you're going to get attention too. There's, there's There's a middle road here, you know. And I think, again, what, what Peter is, is really saying is, is, hey, you know what? 
work on spending time with me. May you have an unbelievable relationship with me, God says. Because it's going to transform how you act. And how you act and how you treat people is really what's going to be precious to God. That's what's going to be beautiful. Not necessarily the outside. If you do, you'll be a rock star like Sarah. She trusted God and feared God. So really, not only did Peter say, hey, employees, I'd like you to step up because God's in charge and you may not be treated always perfectly, but I want you to represent me well. Hey, wives, I want you to step up. For some reason, again, I need to remind you of this, that God ultimately is who you're serving. And you need to respect your husbands. And then lastly, husbands. Jerry's going to read for us verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, at first reading at this, it, it does look, again, um, a little off. I mean, we've got six verses for wives because, you know, they're a lot of trouble, you know. <laughs> and we have one verse for a husband because they're always pretty good. You know, and, and so if you even start there, we're, we're in trouble, okay? I'm just letting you know. The other thing is, some of the words, um, if we don't understand the culture, whoa, um, it, you know, you're going to feel like husbands are getting away with a little bit here, okay? So let's, let's look at this, because really what Peter is saying, and, and this is huge, husbands who are God-fearing, who respect God, who understand that they have an authority, and they're going to be held accountable. This is huge. Honor your wives. Honoring your wife means treating her with understanding. Majority of you guys are going, no problem here, man. I do that all the time. I, I understand my wife. You know, I can tell you, almost 40 years of marriage, I understand Sharon perfectly. Except a couple, weeks, uh, a couple times a week, she reminds me how much I don't understand her. <laughs> Have you ever been there? You know? Have you ever had this? Oh. Hit my mic. Rick, are you listening? I know none of you have ever had that. Okay? Because I actually listen very well. I always respond perfectly. All right? But I think this part of understanding your wife literally means you have to spend time with her. You have to listen. You have to communicate. You have to hear a heart. And you can't keep putting her in a box every single time she opens her mouth. You can't. Because ultimately God's going to hold you, husbands, me, Rick Wager, accountable for how I treat 
my wife. The scripture says this, she may be weaker. And, and again, some of your antennas are going up, right? Really, what Peter is saying here, in the culture, no one doubted the status of a woman. But I also think, actually, it can be physically here. And I am not just saying that every man is stronger than a woman. But what I am saying is that, for the most part, that, that's kind of it. So, so even if she's less powerful than you, even though she can't lift as many two-by-fours as you, okay, or whatever, really say, you know what? Recognize she is your equal partner. There are some real consequences, husbands, if you don't honor your wife. So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when he is, when they are not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. Let me remind you, prayer shows your dependence on God. If you don't pray, you're cocky. If you don't pray, you're arrogant. If you don't pray, you are shouting, you do not need God, nor his help, nor his wisdom, nor anything else. So you can literally just ask someone, how's your prayer life? Well, it's a little bit weak. Really what you're saying, and don't beat me up too much, I didn't need God this week. I didn't need God. (laughs) Pretty smart this week. (laughs) I got it together. (laughs) Really good. Wow. Prayer shows our dependence on God. And no husband may may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing her honor. The consequence of not honoring your wife is that your prayers will be hindered. Let me say it a different way. God's not going to hear you. Do you honestly, I mean, if you are, you are right up front, do you honestly want to live life, men, if you're a husband, without God? Do you really think that, that you could do this? And if we do not honor, care for our wives well, God says, I can't hear you. Go on. You do life by yourself. Go on. Let's see how well this goes. Hmm. Paul gives more insight both to husbands and wives in 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. We are not going over every scenario, but the bottom line, Peter says, husbands are to submit to Christ. They are held accountable to God and held responsible by God. Giving up your life, husbands, for your wives will be like loving them the way Jesus loved the church. 
So Peter's saying, husbands, you step up. You know, this all starts in Peter's mind with fearing God. It just does. It starts and it finishes with fearing God. If you, as an employee, think that your boss has hair, hands, and wears a sweatshirt, you're deceived. Your boss is God. And you have an opportunity to be able to trust God and serve Him so well in spite of how you're treated. Ladies, if you think your husband is perfect, now I know you don't, but let's just pretend. Um, if you think your husbands are going to always make the right decision, always lead the right way, and that you can just trust your husband with your finances and your time and your parenting. You're crazy. But you can trust God. Because ultimately, he's going to hold your husband accountable. And husbands, honestly, if, if you don't treat your wives well, if you don't honor them, do you really think you can make it for one hour by not talking to God? I don't think so. I'll tell you, the passage scares me. Literally scares me. Maybe because I've tried so long at times to do my life without God. Peter's just saying, look at your dad. Oh, what an amazing dad. He's, he's the one that you get connected with. Everything else changes. Doesn't this give you hope? I don't by any means, and I need to say this, think that life is not hard for some of you. Honestly, I've cried with people over the way that their bosses have treated them. Literally, I've cried. The way that wives have been abused and hurt and demeaned, put in boxes. I, 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 it's not right. The way that husbands arrogantly strut through life because they don't need God. It scares me. Let's listen. Let's listen to Peter. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Peter's guts. Father, I know, I, I, we don't know a lot about every apostle, but we know Peter was married. We know Peter had a wife. We know Peter worked as a fisherman. We also know Peter was in an environment that was so hostile to you. God, he shared his heart because he knew what it meant to walk with you. May we fear you, God. And would it change our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, this time um, you all received a bulletin coming in. And in the flap of the bulletin, there's a connection card. And, and if you're newer, we'd love to get your information. I would love to connect with you or some of our leaders. We 